you got to think differently. I started menopause at 13. Now he's got a roaring boner. Just because you have some challenges doesn't mean you're not fabulous. The doctor walked in and he said, cross everything except your legs. The romance takes place in, the, in a Petri dish. The dusty old eggs. They're not genetically mine. The people forget that other people are really struggling. Choosing our donor. No one talks about it because they feel bad or they feel shame. I genuinely did not like kids. See, your sperm's great. My uterus is pretty good. It seems to be the semen that don't like to cooperate. Everyone, I'm pregnant! Well, if there was ever an episode where you need a pen, paper, some aha moments and, and possibly the opportunity to listen back multiple times, this is the episode. Wade Starr, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cassie. Look, we're going to get into a bit of a, an interesting topic that's going to have a lot of facts, stats and research. But one thing I just wanted to put out there, first of all, you're not a doctor. Correct. <laughs> Disclaimer, this is a conversation, not advice. Yes. And it's going to be a really interesting conversation. But first of all, I mean, why are you in this hot seat? And uh, tell me a little bit about your your love of fertility. Yeah, look, I uh, was amazed by the human body back in year 11 and 12. And I suppose from there, even though I graduated uh, with a degree in teaching, I always had this passion for the human body, how it works. So I uh, pursued a, a role and career in pharmaceuticals. So I've been in there for about 25 years, but about 15 to 18 of those, specifically women's health and, of course, fertility, um, to the point where, yeah, I ran a, an IVF clinic for about five years and also an ultrasound business part owner uh, that was basically servicing those fertility patients. Awesome. So I guess the topic that I wanted to kind of touch on with you, and these are some of the statements I want to throw out, um, you know, don't leave it too late, um, you know, it, that you, your clock is running out, you know, are these all these all comments that do ring true? Absolutely. And in my five years uh, at the fertility clinic, you so often hear that, you know, patients coming through going, God, I wish I knew what I know now earlier. I would have acted so much sooner. And it, with what we're discussing today, in particular about the biology of the human body, it makes sense because, um, yeah, some of the stats I've got will be quite alarming, but it will encourage your um, your listeners and others to actually either start earlier, but if that's not practical, um, at least look after the quality of the eggs and sperm that they have at the moment, which is which is paramount. Can I ask you a question that you're, I call you a fertility frother. Why, <laughs> um, why are you so interested in, in the ageing fertility of women mostly? Well, I suppose from my experience in the five years of, of running an IVF clinic, you just see the ramifications of leaving it too long. And, and that's one of the major issues with the quality of, of sperm and eggs today because fertility today isn't what it was meant for. And, and we'll talk about that in terms of um, Steptoe and Edwards and, and why they created IVF in the first place. So for me, it's about re-educating people um, about our biology, not about what our culture and our society has created for us today, which is work hard, you know, um, get a good education, get a great career and, oh, by the way, if you can, try and squeeze some kids in there at some stage. Totally. <laughs> okay, so let's go back. So are we are we leaving it too late? I feel like our well, my parents, you know, in their 20s, no issue. Are we having more problems or are we just doing it later? We're doing it later, much later. And when we talk about the biology of it all, you'll understand why leaving it later has has such an impact. So... Let me start by Go, flipping it around for you. I'm going to ask you a few questions. So I've got my notes here, Cassie, so you <laughs> will hear us clicking through. So let's very quickly run through it. So what's the average life expectancy of an adult in Australia today? Oh, 80? 
Yeah, not too bad. It's actually 84.5 years. The men, it's 81.2. And the girls, as per normal, holding up the standards at at 85.3 years. But collectively, um, it comes back to that 84.5 years. And that's not globally. That's only in Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And believe it or not, in tw- and these stats are from 2021, obviously, because um, we can't have up-to-date ones mm. with consensus, etc. But in Nigeria, for example, in 2021, the life expectancy for an adult was only 52.7 years. So there's a lot of factors that come into that. Okay, so we've established 84.5 for an adult in Australia today. What about, uh, let's go back to the 1800. Mm. So 220-odd years ago. What do you think the global life expectancy was back then? Oh, 50 Lower. Really? 45. Lower. Really? Or it can't be under 40. Lower. No way. Yeah, the global life expectancy back in 1800 was 29 years of age. 29. Okay, so I'm guessing just because we didn't have access to, you know, medications. and It's healthcare. Exactly, yeah. So um, things like nutrition, disease, um, mm violence, mm-hmm. <laughs> living conditions, and also the lack of me- medical knowledge that we spoke of before. So, yeah, today, um, obviously, it's it's vastly different um, and you've hit the nail on the head. So, it's things about our awareness about health, our developments in health and medicine, uh, preventative measures. Mm-hmm. Smoking was obviously very big back then. So, all those type measures have enabled us to live longer. But then the question asked is, in 200 years, we've almost doubled our life expectancy so is that evolution or is that something else? Yeah, I mean, we've just got access to stuff that keeps us alive now. Correct, and that's <laughs> that we spoke of before. So yeah. look, for that to occur from an evolutionary perspective, you know, like remember, you know, Homo sapiens were originally on all fours and we gradually took years and years and there were thousands of years to come on two legs, etc. Well, for that to take place for us to double our life expectancy, we're talking about, um, yeah, tens of thousands or thousands or tens of thousands of years. So it's just not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Okay, so hypothetically then, Cass, today, if we take those contributing factors that we spoke about before, the improved public health care, et cetera, if we took all them out of the picture, would we still be expected to live to 85.4 years of age today? No. 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 No, that, no chance. No. So even if it was 200 years ago, our life expectancy is again around 36 years of age. Wow, okay. So let's be honest. Let's be – sorry, let's be generous and round it up to 40 for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. So let me explain why that's the case so basically, irrespective of, you know, our advances in healthcare, et cetera, nutrition, work conditions, lack of violence, unless you're in certain countries, of course, mm-hmm. um, there's very little that our healthcare system and medicine today actually has an impact on our underlying cellular makeup. So let me give an example. You know, the last time you had like a, an infection of some kind, you'd, you'd sort of <laughs> you'd sort of fight it for a while, and then you would, um, you know, eventually go to your GP, it'd give you a case or, or a um, dose of antibiotics for a particular period of time. You would take those antibiotics. The antibiotics would impact on the bacteria, and then the bacteria would be killed off, mm-hmm. and you would return to normal. Mm-hmm. But even having those antibiotics haven't actually impact on your cell- cellular makeup. It's really just impacted on the bacteria. So those cells are. When we get back to our normal, are basically aging cells. Okay. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. So um, up until that grand old age now, which is the bold statement that is our life expectancy today, really is about forty years of age. That's crazy. So just let that think sink in for a second. I, sh- I, would, I should be dying soon. <laughs> How old are you now? Thirty-four soon. Yeah. Well, I was dead about thirteen <laughs> years ago. <laughs> 
So you still got six good hard years left in you, but for me, yeah. So that's amazing because we're just honestly then just taking any any fixing any ailments to delay death. You know, like we're not we're not thriving exactly, and that's why I often refer to our health system now as our sick system because it's not preventative. It's Mm. basically we get something wrong with us, we go to the doctors, we go to the hospital, we get it fixed. Now that's that doesn't include like broken bones Mm. and things like that, which are which are obvious. But we're talking about some of the chronic illnesses and some of those things that lead to aging, and inevitably our death. So how does this relate to fertility? That's a great question. So on that then, if you look at fertility in terms of 101, at what age does the quality and quantity of, say, female's eggs start to diminish? Well, I've always been told 30. Yeah. From about up. 30. From about 30. It actually starts a little bit earlier than that, but at 30, yes, you see that drop-off, but the real drop-off the cliff is from 35 years of age. Yeah. yeah. Now, my new biological age, which we've sp- just spoken about, given that we're only living to 40, really, makes sense, hey? So at 35, yeah. in the twilight years of your life, you should be done and dusted. Mm-hmm. So that's with the, um, that's with the um, decline in, in general. So if you look at the quantity of eggs, so are you aware of the contributing factors to the demise in the quantity of eggs? And that, no. that is how many eggs we've got. Because yeah. I always just thought that we all lost our thousand every period until yep. we until they're gone. Yeah. So we actually start – well, not we. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, what's your so egg that, count? My egg count's <laughs> diminishing significantly. It never started. But um, so, yeah, girls are generally born with between one and two million wow. eggs at yep. birth. Um, they then lose around 10,000 eggs per month. 10,000. Okay. Up until the age of puberty. Oh. And the average age of puberty now is – I feel like it's getting earlier. Is it 10, ah, 11? Know, yeah, between 10 and 11, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's getting – apparently it's diminishing by three months every 10 years. Wow, because when we were all getting our periods at school, it was like 15, 16. Yeah. Now they're educating primary school yeah. on how to use pads and things. That blows my mind. And do you remember when one of your friends who was maybe 13 got her period early? It was like, oh, my God, Whoa. what's wrong with you? Yes, <laughs> and she's so mature. And, yes, you know. yes. Oh, she'll be pregnant next week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, why, why are girls getting their periods earlier? Can you answer that? No, I, I don't know, but um, well, it'll come up in a second because I'm going to yeah. give an example of a comparison of what's happening in two cultures today. Yeah, cool. And it, it will lead into that. And it all comes down to, um, I suppose, our nutrition, what's available today, now, et cetera. And also false estrogens. There's a lot of false estrogens, plastics and whatnot. So, you know, warming your stuff up in a microwave in plastic containers. Don't do it. Use glass instead. God, you're one of those people. Yeah, sorry. You're going to hate me. <laughs> Okay, so we're losing 10,000 eggs per month yep. up until we start our periods? Yep, up until menstruation okay. starts and then you lose, as you mentioned, about 1,000 a month yep. from there. Now, the problem with that is that by the time you reach puberty, you've only got about three hundred to 400,000 left. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it does. But when you're losing 1,000 a month from that stage, from 10 years, it doesn't actually give you a lot. In fact, by um, the age of 30, you've lost 90% of, yeah. your, of your egg reservoir, as you speak. And the unfortunate thing about that is the remaining 10% are generally of not great quality mm-hmm. because they're old. Remember at 30, you're three quarts away through from, your... From, from death. Yeah. I'm 40 years. I know. I'm going to keep referring yeah. to that because it's really important for your listeners to understand because biologically, this is what's happening and why it's not a great idea to leave it later. But like it just, you know, and I know I'm jumping the gun, but I just keep thinking there's not there's not many 21 year olds or 22 year olds that want to be having um, thinking about great quality embryos and having sex and, and making babies right now no they're not and culture has a lot to do with that because where are we supported in today be it at home at the workplace wherever it is to support a young mum 
well, where's the ads? Have your kids early and we'll support you when you return to work at 26. You know? Absolutely, You yeah. can have your dream job then. That's right, you know? yeah. We'll put it on hold for you, yes. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, that role is invariably made redundant or, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's what society is today. And it's not something that has happened overnight, but it's evolved. But it is stepping away from mm. our biological clock mm. in a lot of respects and, and other sort of the reproductive life cycle as well. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the quality of eggs. So quantity of eggs, tick, we've, we've crossed mm-hmm. that off. Um, one thing I forgot to mention is that no new eggs are, are made available in the female cycle, life cycle in her whole life. But yep. for men, we just keep... I know, yep, we know, I know. we know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're not um, devoid of issues with sperm as they get older. The reality is that DNA damage, et cetera, and that kicks in from about 40. Okay. What was that age I just mentioned? Yeah, well, you got, we're all dead by then, aren't we? Yeah, so but from 40. Yeah. So we should be dead anyway. Yeah. So that's yeah. when for men the DNA. But you guys get to repair your sperm and get to do a lot more with your stuff because you're making it every three months, fresh. Correct. Repairing it and things. So. Well, that whole repair mechanism you're talking about, that needs energy, and we're going to talk on this a little bit later on, the energy is not there, and that's why the DNA occur, um, damage occurs. Right. So without those repair enzymes and pathways in place, they need energy like anything else does for you to get up and go to the toilet in your pretty and pink state. <laughs> um, then it, that, that takes energy. So um, men's sperm need that as well. Okay, let's look at the quality of a female eggs. So you had uh, Lucy Williams on recently. Let's listen to her podcast. And um, she was mentioning some of the things that affect the quality of eggs. Um, and she mentioned age, lifestyle, and basically our overall health. Mm -hmm. But the key one that she kept coming back to was one, age, and secondly, smoking. Mm. I just want to touch on smoking for a sec. There was a great paper by Liston in 2005 titled The Effects of Subfertility Cause Smoking and Body Weight on the Success Rate of IVF. And it was crazy that um, he basically – sorry, that Liston basically came up with the summary that if you have just one cigarette a day – so we're not talking a whole packet – you are essentially adding 10 years to your life in terms of fertility. So we know that the success rates from 30 years of age starts to decline and at 40 and beyond, it's less than what, 3 or 4% naturally. So if you present to your doctor because you're having issues falling pregnant and you're a smoker of just one cigarette per day, and let's face it, there aren't too many smokers that just have one cigarette per day, you're essentially um, arriving at a doctor and presenting as a 40-year-old. So it adds 10 years to your fertility age. I wish someone told me that when I was darting up, dancing around <laughs> at Claremont Hotel, and we don't really we think that it's a I'll stop and I'll and I'll fix it later. Yeah, but yeah. the damage and it does it does reverse. Like yeah. if you do stop, but that a lot of damage is done. And don't get me started on vaping because vaping's massive. And I see my daughter who's nineteen. A lot of her friends are vaping. We don't know what's in vaping. All we know is that well, not a lot of people do. But there's a um, the cigarette companies are losing a lot of business. In, because the young kids aren't taking up cigarette smoking. Um, but all of a sudden, vaping companies and manufacturers have got all this financial backing. I'm not trying to draw... No, I get <laughs> it. I, get, I think they're both, they're both bad. Yep. Yeah. So we, we're not, we won't know for some time the effects of, of vaping on our general health. Forget, forget about on um, you know, our fertility, etc. Yep. But it shouldn't be a substitute, really, for smoking. Like, it's, they're, both, they're both crap. They're both. What well, are you putting chemicals? Why would you put chemicals you don't even know about into your body? Yep. Okay, so again, fertility 101. We've just been through quality, quantity of the eggs, etc. So let's do a quick biological review in terms of the reproductive life. Females are born with a finite number of eggs. They are most fertile around 19, 20 years of age. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, when, we're, when we're all on the pill. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
And then from the 20, the females' fertility starts to decline. Obviously, hits 30, drops right away, quality and quantity of the eggs, and then by 35, off the cliff, yep. and then by 40. Um, between 40 and 45, you might see the onset of perimenopause and yep. then menopause, which is the average age of around 51 now. Mm-hmm. It's a bit gloom and doom, isn't it? Sorry, it mate. It is. I get it. It's <laughs> just... It's, it's just um, <sighs> You can't change change society's views of when we should be having children. No, so. and that's going to be the biggest challenge. And that starts in the schools, you know, where we educate health ed. I used to be a health ed teacher. We spoke about reproduction and we, the next day we spoke about contraception because it was all about just avoiding getting pregnant early. Mm. All right, let's combine the two then. So the fundamental biology that we spoke of before, that our life expectancy really is at a biological level just 40. And then we've also spoken about now the reproductive life of the female, you know, most fertile at 19 and 20, then a demise of fertility beyond that. So are they connected? Is there a link? And the answer is yes, absolutely. The problem is we are in, today's society is in complete denial of our fundamental biology and especially in denial about how it relates to our fertility. And you mentioned it before, society's just not set up for it. And mm. you know, our community, like you said, you know, Come and um, you know, have your job, etc., and we'll put it on hold. So let me give you an example of this. This is happening today, real world. Two extremes of the reproductive life cycle I just spoke about. Mm-hmm. Number one, uh, before I start this, um, I've got to um, acknowledge John, Professor John Aiken in this. He's yeah, amazing. He's got a great presentation on what I'm about to present this next section um, on YouTube. You get a chance to have a look. It's about the demise of the human race. Cool. We're okay. on the brink of... Extinction. I know that's going to sound really crazy. It sounds like thrilling, yeah. very encouraging <laughs> stuff. Yeah, but it is. It's actually he talks about the fertility age, etc. Um, but he relates to um, these two groups. One is the Ikong tribe out of um, Kalahari, uh, the hunters and gatherers in the Kalahari Desert. Now the women there get their periods late, um, late 18, 19 years of age, and that's because they have this thing which you mentioned before. Why are we getting our periods so early? Um, for them, it's in lieu of a, uh, something called the low planes of nutrition. So you know how, what, how many months are you now? Oh, you feel like I'm, I'm eight months. Eight months and yeah. it's coming tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how much energy is involved in carrying for that period of time. Yeah. So your body basically says, do you know what? If you don't have enough food source, nutrition and energy to support you, you are, you're not even going to have a period. None the, you know, forget about trying to fall pregnant or, or conceiving. Think about triathletes. So how many triathletes and gymnasts who have really yeah. low body fat levels, etc., under so much stress. Lose their periods too. They just don't have periods, yep. yeah. Yep. So that's invariably what happens, but up until about 18, 19 years of age, and then the, the tribes start feeding these maturing women. So whatever food source comes in, so they start having their periods. They're generally married at about 19 and a half years, and that's about the same age as which they have their first child. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and then they maintain their reproductive life cycle from there. The whole village helps out. So, you know, she'll be breastfeeding for a period of time when she wants to go and have another child. Breastfeeding will put um, – or the child, the infant be put aside. The village will look after that one while she's falling pregnant or is impregnant um, with her, her next child. So they are living what is basically called, as nature intended, the correct biological reproductive life cycle for the female. Yeah, but she's not wearing a power suit trying to be the CEO, you know, at – 21 you know she's that's the, the old traditional roles of women i guess well that's as nature mm, yeah is intended okay. for b yeah yeah so we've only created the ceo roles and, yeah, no, and that for women etc so 
It's a whole other story, another podcast. So she's like, she's obviously pumping out all her kids and then she would probably be done by the time most of us are starting. Correct. She's done by 30. So over the next 10 to 12 years, she takes advantage of the reproductive life cycle that nature had given her. So by the age of 30, 31, 32 max, the cue's back in the rack. Done and dusted and she just gets to look after her children and raise them and away they go. Yeah. Now let's compare that with the Australian woman of today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So periods start much earlier, we said before, between 10 and 11 years. Um, in actual fact, in women, so for girls in Australia, it's a little bit higher. It's actually 12.9, so it's a little bit higher than what the global um, yep. uh, commencement of puberty and, and periods is. Um, but then mid to early, sorry, early to mid-teens, we take on what's called cultural infertility in the form of... The pill. The pill, yeah. So we choose not to, to have children. Yeah. Um, and then the average age for a female having her first child today is 30, as we've discussed, which puts us at the end of that biological reproductive cycle, which only allows us between two and three years. And during that time, we spit out, not spit out, that's the wrong word, but we basically right. have between one, sorry, we have 1.25 children in that time frame. So from the time we have our first period to having our first child, it's almost two decades. Yeah, sometimes. and if you go back and look at those numbers we spoke of before, like you're losing 10,000 a month and 1,000 a month once you start, your periods mm, times by twelve a year, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, there's not, a lot, and that's why there's ninety percent left. Ninety uh, percent expired already by the time you're thirty years of age. And then the the women in that tribe are having a baby within the first, you know, couple of years of, of having their first period. Yeah, and they're done and dusted by thirty. We've got to ask about, don't we? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Biologically, yeah. we have yeah. an ask about. Thank yeah. you, thank you, culture, thank you, society. Yes, but it's it's really hard because I think it's just painted in our head that we need to go on the holiday, buy the nice house, and then at the tail end is the children. Yes, we tap it on the end. That's also known as opportunity cost. Yeah, and that, a lot of that's driven through, you know, the Joneses next door, the old story of oh they've got that and we've got that, we need the same, etc. And we'll talk about our actual purpose in life as well. We'll touch on that. I'd be very interested to get your comments on that. So if you look at then um, in summary. In most developed countries today, women decide and, and um, will choose cultural infertility. Um, and it's not all their fault, don't get me wrong, like mm. if they haven't found Mr. Right. So if he's not ready to start a family mm. um, or if he's career-driven and you know wants to fly around all around the world, etc., and he's not ready to settle down, that makes it really difficult for yeah. the girls. And, I, and I've got heaps of friends who have gone through that process before. Um, as we mentioned before, culturally, we're just not set up and ready to go. I mean, how's all the prejudgment mm. about young mums? Mm. You know, if you see a, 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 you know, a young mum pushing a pram around 18 to 19, the comments are just yeah. appalling. Mm. Biologically, though, she's... Yeah, she's nailed it. <laughs> she's nailed it. <laughs> literally. So, as I mentioned before, we've literally got it asked about. Yeah. So, another question for you, Case. You've spoken to a lot of people through your podcast and obviously people getting in touch and reaching out to you. So, what are some of the reasons or rationale why people delay falling pregnant or starting a family? Definitely... My partner's not ready is a big one. Um, we want to go on our last big holiday. Yep. We're saving up for a house. Um, we're saving to for, for treatment we may need in the future, which is funny because yeah. we don't even need to talk about that just yet. Um, we're just living our life, you yeah, know. Having a great time. Yeah. Got to catch up with Gazza and Shazza on the weekend. We're going. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm just one more trip, and yeah. I'm not done drinking or yeah. career. Um, I'm I don't really want to lose opportunity of whatever job or a promotion I've got at the moment. Yep, and yeah. the one you know the um oh we're working so hard that next goal to upgrade the house to live a little bit closer to the beach or yeah. whatever it might be. Yep. So 
I'm not going to go into the reasons why people have those, but what I do want to touch on is um, the comment that I quite often hear, which is something along the lines of, and you may relate to this or, or have heard this before, and it's something like, you know, irrespective of what life dishes up for me or irrespective of my age and any delays, I've always got IVF to fall back on. Yeah, that hurts to hear because it's, it's not a guarantee. No, and that's what I wanted to touch on because the longer you leave it, that often means that you're dealing with older ageing eggs and sperm and then invariably that means that their quality has been impacted on significantly. Mm. Same with egg freezing too. A lot of people are doing that at the moment. Yeah. yeah that's an, uh, egg freezing has poorer outcomes than IVF. So I've had that interesting discussion with my 19-year-old daughter who hears me talking about this stuff all the time. And she's acutely aware that I used to run an IVF clinic. And she's like, Dad, Dad, I've got to start. You know, I'm 19. I've got to start freezing my eggs. I'm at my prime. I just want, you know, irrespective of what happens. So that's but you can't, you can't fault her for saying that sort of stuff, you know? No, exactly. So no doubt. You're going to ask me what was my <laughs> response to That's hard because that's like y- the science is there, but then do you want your 19-year-old to go stick herself with needles and is it a teeth cleaning? Is it is it just a you know an everyday treatment that you're going to fork over 10 grand to do? Exactly, yeah. So I've had that discussion with her and said, hey, how are you going to fund it? Mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to help out. But look, I, we don't need to go down that line because it's not about freezing your eggs now, and this is really important for your listeners. It's about maintaining the quality of your eggs. Okay. And that's going to, what we're talking about today. And so that, that, that's a really important part. But before we get to that, just going back to what you said before with regards to, you know, some of the reasons why, again, I don't want to touch on, you know, people's motivation behind that. But what I do want to touch on is the fact that, yeah, the older eggs are ageing and here's the problem. IVF wasn't meant for ageing old eggs. It was, meant, it, was, it was meant for people like me who have blocked fallopian tubes. Exactly, yeah. So um, uh, Steptoe and Edwards, when they first developed it, yeah, they had a, a number of patients who had um, tubal occlusions or poor tubal pathology. Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, how can we bypass the tubes? And that's how they came up with it. So to get the eggs from the ovaries, um, get the sperm from the guys, put them in the lab. Mm-hmm. Light the candles, bit of waka waka music, and then you know day three embryos. Back then, yeah. um, we we do a single embryo transfer um, back into back into her, and away they go. So that's a. Whereas today we're actually dealing with aging eggs, which makes it really really difficult in terms of the technology that's available and potential outcomes. And don't get me wrong, the outcomes are great, but mm. we can actually short track some of that and mm. sort of divert some of the focus away from that if we actually look at the um, look at the quality of the eggs versus mm-hmm. the actual. You know, that, that whole thing around, let's just get as many as we can type thing. So let's put it all together. We've now got our, um, you know, our ageing eggs. We've got, um, we've got uh, the almost redundant reproductive uh, life cycle for the female, etc. So question, Cass, this is it. What is your fundamental purpose? What's your own number one, not fundamental, what's your number one personal purpose in life? <sighs> This is really hard because mine is all really about legacy and, and, and leaving an impact and contributing to the world, but and very much so in fertility. Yeah. What about if I said that you actually share the same purpose? Don't get me wrong, your purpose, what you just said is awesome. But you actually have another one and you share the same purpose as every listener and actually everyone who's not listening to this particular podcast as well. Just to breathe. To breathe. Is that it? Just to be alive? Oh, um, no. Just because because not everyone can well, you're wants part, children. Yeah, you're partway there. But the reality is, if you go back to the real basics in terms of a species, 
the main purpose for us here is to procreate, to continue the species. So that's – but it's weird that you asked me that and that didn't jump out at me as being my number one purpose. Like yeah. it's a goal, you know. Yeah. So, but if you, again, go back to the fundamental biology of it all. Then yes, you're right, procreation. Yeah, every, every species in, in the world today, everyone that you see, well, and everyone, Are every animal. listening to my fluffy little, <laughs> I want to contribute to the world and leave my footprint. I love that. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, yes, I get it's it. It's a nice footprint. <laughs> well, mine is to educate for freedom and choice. <laughs> yeah, so right, there you go. lovely. Yeah, so nice and simple. So yeah. we give you the, the information like today and then you have a choice. Yeah. So either take it on board and act and that may free you up in some way, shape or form, or you choose not to and go, what an idiot, what is he talking about? <laughs> and away you go. I love that. So basically that means, again, so going back to the biology and putting it all together, that means by 20 years of age, we're at the halfway point of our projected life. So you should have passed on all the good DNA and genes to your children um, because from the age of 20, basically we start to see the onset of ageing. Now you won't see this straight away. It's actually happening at a biological level. You mm. can't see that, but then it starts to rear its ugly head and you start to see the signs of it. So you'll see like things like your energy levels are dropping. Um, you st- can't stay awake all day. You won't have a sleep in the afternoon. Brain fog, memory, are they starting to? Oh, God. <laughs> um, distracted from performing particular tasks. And in terms of your biology, the quality of your eggs and sperm starting to diminish. Now, when you start to feel the effects of all those, you put your hand out and you shake it and you say, Hello, hallmarks of ageing. Yeah. How are you? Because yeah. that's basically what's happening. Now, there's 12 hallmarks of ageing. Um, they were basically developed uh, in 2013 so that people, the scientists said that it came up with it, were looking at, they want to look at what was the process that happens at a molecular level that basically leads to dysfunction of the cells, et cetera, and then eventually a death. So they're actually able to predict some of your life expectancy based on these 12 hallmarks of mm-hmm. ageing. Mm-hmm. So what's that got to do with fertility? Well, there's a lot because out of those 12, eight of them have a direct impact on your fertility. And some of those hallmarks of ageing, oh, I'm just going to grab my notes here, so sorry, Cass, but um, things like stem cell exhaustion, cellular senescence, mitochondria dysfunction, mm-hmm. um, genomic instability, epigenic alterations, loss of um, proteases, et But all this is inside. I can't, this isn't wrinkles, grey hair. It eventually leads to that okay. because the cells aren't able to function properly. And so if they're not able to function properly they start to look and act differently, which yep. shows up as grey hair. So people go, oh, you look a bit tired, and you go, oh, I'm having some mitochondrial dysfunction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the hallmarks of ageing kicking <laughs> in. Have you got them? <laughs> oh, mine haven't started yet. So the important thing here is out of those eight of the 12 that impact on your fertility for both males and females, six of those eight or half of the original 12 actually have a link and they're all connected by um, the demise of a coenzyme called NAD. Okay. And when we spoke about energy before, we're going to go into that as to, as to why. So NAD stands for nicotinamide, adenine dinucleotides. Jesus. I expect you to say that again, Ooh. surely. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's a natural molecule that's found um, in every cell of our body. It's actually responsible for over 400 processes. So it sounds important, yeah? Yeah. yeah. i tell you how important it is. If you don't have it in your system... You're dead within 30 seconds. Okay. So it's important. Yeah, serious stuff. So it has two key functions. And if we go back, um, remember Biology 101 at school. Did we, did, when we learnt about cells, I remember doing the mitochondria was like a Nutrigrain shape and we went through, <laughs> uh, there was no NDA dis- discussion, I feel, when I was at school. No, that's exactly right. So they're called the, the, the organelles of the cell, the different parts of the cell, mm-hmm. but you've nailed it. So there's things like the nucleus, yes. mitochondria, they do look like a 
so much like a neutral grain, uh, ribosomes, lysosomes, etc. So they're all parts of the cell. But I want to focus on the mitochondria because that's the important one you mentioned before. So the mitochondria is a little bit like the powerhouse of the cell. Mm-hmm. I have eyelids. My eyelids are made up of skin cells with a little bit of muscle attached, etc. Those cells are responsible for when I blink, my eyes get hydrated, etc. And I don't look at you really funny with dry eyes. Mm. If those cells don't have the energy from the mitochondria to perform that task of blinking, they won't work. Yep. So I'll be stuck. I'll win every staring contest <laughs> coming around, but <laughs> not great scary. for the eyes. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah, mitochondria, they're the powerhouse. So the cells need the mitochondria to produce ATP for that cell to behave and function effectively. Now, not every cell has the same amount of um, uh, mitochondria. For example, your liver cells have about 100 mitochondria, but as the importance of that cell increases... So does an amount of mitochondria. So, for example, the um, your muscles have about a thousand, and then your neurons or your brain cells have up to five thousand mitochondria in there. So that because and you think about it, they're just churning away the whole time. Now, NAD is the fuel for the mitochondria. All right. So think of the analogy of the car. Your car is a mitochondria. NAD is the petrol that you put into the car. If that petrol supply starts to decline, diminish, or otherwise, the car doesn't perform as well as it does. Have you ever run out of petrol at last? Yeah. Yeah, you're looking at that. I run with the light on a lot. I'm terrible. (laughs) The other thing, um, so um, NAD is responsible for, so one is energy. The other one is cellular health through um, cell repair and maintenance. Um, So they basically keep all of our cells healthy. There's actually a lot of pathways. I'm going to take one of them. If you take, say, the DNA repair enzyme pathway, that needs NAD to work. So you remember before you were talking about grey hairs, et cetera, if, mm. if they don't have the energy, they're not going to perform, they don't look the same. Um, those repair pathways um, absolutely need the NAD. Otherwise, they're just not going to function accordingly. So where does our NAD come from then? Well, we actually produce it naturally. Aren't we clever little dickies? <laughs> <laughs> of course we do. Tell so, me more. So we eat our food and our food gets converted into what we call precursors. So precursors are what the, um, the NAD itself in its natural form is too big to go through the cell wall membrane so the precursors go and then it gets converted then the nad is used up in the cell with mitochondria sirtuins parps um, the dna repair enzymes we spoke of before and also enzymes like cd38 now when you use that nad you get a waste product or a byproduct it's called um, nicotinamide and then the body is so clever that it actually converts that waste product in the cell back into endogenous or natural nad precursor so it's really, really clever. Let me use that analogy. Oh, sorry. And that's all called, that all comes under the encompass of what's called the salvage pathway. Now, the salvage pathway happens in every cell. It's really important. Um, but the most important part about it is an enzyme called NAMPT. And that's the special enzyme that converts wasted and used NAD back into brand new precursor. Why is it so important? Like, are we making more NAD just fresh? Yeah, so as you, so think with this, as when you're a youngster, etc., um, you use up, you need a lot more energy, you use up a lot more NAD, and so your body has this ability to recycle yeah. it again, so you don't need to eat as much, you actually got all this energy yeah. just buzzing the whole time, etc. Oh, those days. Those days. <laughs> so think of it like a car. Again, we use that same analogy. So NAD is the petrol that goes into the car. The car is the mitochondria. The used petrol is the exhaust, mm-hmm. so that is your um, nicotinamide. Now, there's a special device that you stick on your exhaust pipe. That's the NAMPT enzyme, and that converts the exhaust, catches it all, and converts it back into petrol. Great, great recycling. Great. Use, yeah, I mean, great. yeah, the body works in amazing ways. The problem is, um, 
as efficient as the body is, there's a big problem. And that is by the age of 20, that salvage pathway has already lost its efficiency and ability to produce NAD naturally by 50%. This is when we all start to slow down. Yeah, so half of our biological age, by 20 years, it's already gone. So let me ask you a question then, Cass. I want you to go back in time. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to go back to when you were in your late teens, the social butterfly that couldn't have her wings clipped. I want you to tell me an example, a stock standard weekend for you that I know started possibly... Thursday night. Thursday and, night and at Claremont. Didn't, and didn't end until Sunday. Yeah, Thursday Take night. Take me through it. Thursday night, Claremont till 3am, go to work on Friday, kick it off again Friday. Pre-drink started at 8 or 9. Like That makes me tired to think about now, you know. Partying all night. With, and then you'd be up and you'd go to Sunday session on Sunday, OBH, clubber again, go to work on Monday, feeling a little bit dusty, but nothing that, you know, like a, a can of Coke couldn't, couldn't fix. fix. Okay? <laughs> Full strength. They didn't have diet back yeah, then. No, no. Oh, yeah, no. Sugar free. Don't be silly. Um, and, and I had energy. Mental health was good. Yeah, so focused. Weird. Focused. Yeah. yeah. And you're just ready to go for your next, when yeah. it all starts again. And your memory of the antics that you got up to the night yeah. before, no matter, how, you, there were no dark spots. No. There were no blackouts. There was no. nothing. Okay. No. And that, so that all ties in, it makes perfect sense because up until 20 years of age, like all that time, it's already starting to diminish from birth essentially. Yep. But when we hit 20, your body's ability, so for all those things to take place for you to have the energy and the focus and all that type of stuff on the days when you should be hungover, yeah. like think about now, forget about doing that from Thursday to Sunday. How long would it take you to recover from one night? Four days. <laughs> for <Seriously>. me, weeks. <laughs> two, two day hangover. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and, and just, it wouldn't even be pushing it too hard. Yep. You know? And then you would get that brain fog for another week or two after that. Like Things it, just didn't. It, there's also just the, the, the memory as well. Wouldn't remember things. Mm. I'm scattered, little bits depressed. Yeah. Like, like the downers. Yeah. When I would have drank 10 times more. Absolutely. When I was younger. And been buzzing. And but been it buzzing. all makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So biologically, that NAD is disappearing. Your NAD helps with hangovers. I'm not saying this is a cure for hangovers by any stretch of the imagination, but it does help in terms of because your energy levels are up, et cetera. Mm. So your body's able to go through that processing a lot sooner and not more efficiently. If it's not doing it, it means that um, the hangover's going to hang on a bit longer. Where can I buy NAD in a pill? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> so your body basically, yes, if you look at it, so that, that trend um, at 20 continues. So it diminishes by a further 50% every 20 years. So by the time you hit 40, it's down to 25%. By the time you hit 60, it's down to 12.5%. Which makes sense because we're not meant to make it to 60, remember? Don't tell anybody. But in terms of fertility, which is a lot of your listeners, so by the time you hit 30, you're down to 37.5% of your body's ability to produce it naturally. And then by the time you hit 35, it's 31%. Okay. Now, there are other factors that also impact on the demise of NAD. So they're lifestyle factors. Drinking, poor diet overweight, not obese, but just overweight, um, and any of the other usual things like just sedentary lifestyle that we have today and not exercising because all those things put stress on the body and that helps your body produce NAD naturally. So just not to contradict the theory, but if we're, if we're peppering ourselves with all those bad things in our teens, then why doesn't it affect the NAD quality back then? Or it is, we just don't see it because we're all young and hip. Yeah, and, and your body's... A, Remember that it's whatever it's you're working using. working at optimal level. Yeah, and whatever you're using is straight away being recycled, so okay. you don't see a decrease. So when in we're in our prime, that's yes, literally. absolutely. Yeah. And that's yeah. also when you're in your prime for what else in terms of fertility? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so falling pregnant and that type of things. All right, so let's take a breath for a second. <laughs> you need it. Let's have a quick review. Okay, so 
remember, your NAD start levels start to drop from age 20. Um, at the same time, you're needing more. So as you get into your mid-20s and career and everything else that's going in your life, you need more to stay focused. But your body's ability to produce and recycle is just falling away. So we start, our energy levels start to wane. It takes longer to recover from physical activity. Like if you had gone for a run at the gym, it takes longer to, to recover from those. You're not sleeping well, interrupted sleep. Um, you're waking up early, not being able to get back to sleep between 3 and 5 in the morning. Yep. Um, brain fog, memory loss, the whole lot. It's all starting to kick in. Um, but with that also is, uh, remember before we spoke about the two main things was energy for NAD, that it produces energy, but also cell repair. Low um, NAD also means that you're not getting as much um, DNA repair enzymes and that whole pathway kicking in. And that affects your whole body. Okay, and that comes down to basically that your cells aren't functioning as healthy or as properly as they should before. And that's where one of the hallmarks of ageing I spoke about, um, mitochondrial dysfunction is, in, you know, is prevalent. In fact, there was one study I read that 48% of the population in developed countries, um, 48% of those under 40 years of age are suffering from some form of mitochondrial dysfunction. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Again, that age, yeah. under 40, you just keep coming back to that same age. All sounds a bit... What sort of ailments we're talking though? Just a bit of every everything. Like yeah, those things I mentioned before. So you know, not sleeping properly and focusing, yeah, okay. trying to all that type but of. Th- and th- these are things that we just accept as everyday life, though. It's aging, yeah. Yeah. But it's now you understand why. It's yeah. not just you know getting old. So that's a good segue there, Cass. So if I said to you before, mentioned the words getting old or aging, what age would you normally have related that to? Be realistic. For Forty. No. <laughs> Oh, oh, 40, you're getting old at 40. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but other people would say, oh, yeah, they're getting old or they're ageing. A lot of yeah. people would say maybe 50s or 60s. Oh, yeah, they get, remember 50, I think 40. I think when, when we, we're all starting to use Botox, not me, Botox and all that, it's in their 20s now. Yep. And then I thought 30s. And I, I used to think it was 40s. I just think of, you know, back in, you watch Jennifer Aniston and things like that. You know, <laughs> and you're like, she's, she's getting old. But I think, I thought 40s, late 40s, your 50th. Yeah, you know? okay, so they're getting on in life, yeah. they're ageing. You ask the 50-year-olds, 50 is the new 40. <laughs> Trust me. I'm trying. No. But so now that you have an understanding of what we spoke about in the biological ageing, etc., when are you getting old? When does your ageing start? 20. There you go. Crazy, isn't it? But it is. It's actually the demise starts from 20 at a cellular level. We start to see it slowly creep in our mid-20s, late 20s, 30s, etc. And from fertility, that's really important. Yeah. Now, other question is, if this coenzyme in our body NAD is so important um, what do you think the body does when it starts to decline the levels of NAD in your body declining do you mm-hmm. think it evenly disperses its NAD to all parts of the body as it should no I, I'm assuming then it would just go to the parts of the body that require the most energy or the most and and leave the the, the functioning of other organs that aren't it's not necessary to the side did you read my notes no, no. but that, that's something that I think that Makes sense. Makes sense. And I think in the fertility sense, sometimes, you know, when the body goes into shock or goes into something that it leaves fertility to the side. So wherever energy is needed first, that's where we're going to go. That is a great example. You think of when you're in a fright or flight scenario. Remember, the blood is drawn from the extremities of your body. So you're the peripherals, like your fingers, hands and that type of stuff. And it goes to the central core of your body so that you've got um, enough blood so that you can run or, you know, your heart's pumping and that type of stuff. The same thing happens with your NAD. So we spoke about some of those organs before, like your brain and your heart that really need it. So when your NAD levels start to drop, those areas which aren't important and don't need NAD, hair, um, 
parts of your skin that mm. get exposed that don't have all that DNA repair, etc., they don't get any NAD or it's, it's significantly diminished. Hence why your hair goes grey or falls out. Your skin gets wrinkled. Skin gets wrinkled. Eyesight saggy. starts to, you know, all those type things. Now you think eyesight's important, but biologically in terms of the core running of your body, it's not as important as your brain, your heart, etc. So your body won't basically give the available NAD to everyone or yep. any, any part of your body. So it starts to restrict it to the most important parts. And the casualties of those are like your hair, etc., but also your eggs. Can and we redirect? Can we, you can't redirect it? You can't have a man standing there, a lollipop man at the going, school and going, going <laughs> yes, right, some for you, some. No, the body just takes over and it does that for you. And that contributes to the demise and the quality of the egg. Because if it doesn't have NAD, the, the egg itself can't function properly. And if it can't function properly, it means that the mitochondria isn't functioning properly. It's not giving enough energy for the cell to do what it wants to do. Remember I gave the eyelid example before. So if the NAD is not there, it's mm. not going to close mm. as it should, etc. So your mm. eggs aren't going to be of the same quality. So what that means is that um, your eggs are likely to suffer from um, mitochondrial dysfunction as well. Now mitochondrial dysfunction is also um, an excipient and manufacturer or producer of oxidative stress. Oxidative stress on the female egg is, you know, results in DNA damage, etc. And that's why you might often hear some of the doctors or clinicians saying, "Oh, we'll give you some antioxidants." Yeah, but it's not actually addressing the root cause of what's happening. Um, but they know that that DNA instability, because you don't have the NAD going to your um, eggs, etc., results in the increased risk of infertility, miscarriage, and agile birth defects. So it's really important to remember. So now, remember with Lucy Williams who had her on, and I think Jay as well spoke about, we still don't know what the, the real cause for the quality of, or the demise in the quality of the eggs is. I think now we've got a pretty plausible understanding that yep. if the NADs are diminishing, the, the eggs and the sperm can't do as they did when they had all that NAD available. So it's obviously going to have an impact. So does NAD improve fertility outcomes? Now, there have been some studies on this. I'm not going to go into any detail, but most of them are mice. I have to preface that most of them are mice <laughs> but believe it or not mice in terms of uh, testing reasons that the dna and all that were actually similar like you would think primates etc but no actually all the way back we all sort of share that sort of similar dna to some capacity um but the mice studies basically show that that when they increased first they le- um, looked at the levels of nad in the ovaries and eggs um in the older mice and when they were obviously down is what you'd normally experience say in, in looking at humans Things that they found that when they increased the NAD levels, there was increased number of um, ovarian follicles, there was increased ovulation potential, an increase in live birth rates, um, spindle abnormalities, and an improved ovarian mitochondrial energy. So there was some positive there. And probably the main one that came out of that was one by uh, Michael Bertoldo, who actually worked with And he uh, looked at mice who were three to six months of age, which is equivalent to about humans at 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've actually done this comparison. It's crazy. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you later on. And then they, uh, and then there's mice, which what they call middle age, which are between 10 and 14 months, which is equivalent to 38 to 47-year-old humans. They measured the NAD in their ovaries and eggs, non-existent, gave them some supplements. And what they saw was um, positive increase in fertility rates, um, increased oocyte quality and improved blastocyst quality as well, which is really important. But a statement that was made in that paper, which is really interesting, that says, and I quote, these findings suggest that late-life restoration of NAD levels represent an opportunity to rescue female reproductive function in mammals. Wow. 
And so what they did was once they gave those older mice, which equivalent to, and I think the ones that they had were 12 to 14 months, so that's around the 40-ish age bracket, those mice weren't falling pregnant. And when they gave them a supplement, measured their NAD levels in their ovaries, which increased, put them back in with the males, and boom, these, yeah. these mice were getting pregnant. Again, my study. Yeah, okay. okay. So, yeah. I want to yeah. so what about human studies? Well, there was done uh, one in 2022, and they looked at, um, there was 236 women, and they basically just looked at the, um, what they call the um, follicular fluid, how much NAD was in the follicular fluid, and they just found that there were better outcomes for those that had more NAD in the follicular fluid, especially in the mature, mature oocytes. Men haven't gone astray in terms of some human studies as well. Um, there was one in 2008 looking at sperm DNA damage, and they basically correlated the fact that if you've got low levels of NAD, that equated to um, you know, sperm DNA damage as well. And some of it was much sooner than 40 years, which was the average that was put on. Now, interestingly enough, in Australia, there's an, the enhanced study, which hasn't started yet, so they're looking at this. This is where it's going. I, I could see this evolving, and I only found this out recently. So it's called the enhanced study. I think it's run out of South Australia. Um, they're using NR, or nicotinamide riboside, as their NAD precursor. Um, and they're looking at, basically, the quality of women at advanced age undergoing IVF. It's a randomised, placebo-controlled, double-blind, proof-of-concept trial. So it's got some... Yep. some validation behind it, and they're looking to see, well, if we give them an NAD precursor supplementation for a period of time, uh, will that increase the quality of their ovaries? Do they have to have a, an issue with their eggs to come in, do, do, or they, is it all just I, I think they're just looking at a particular ages. Okay. Um, yep. I don't know the specifics, but obviously the older the women, the poorer quality eggs they'll have, so you'd think that it would have a greater impact on, on that side of things. So um, sort of winding it all up and, and bringing it all together then, um, NAD is important and if it is so important and it does demise, so how can we replenish it, which I suppose is the most important question that your listeners will be asking about. Well, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Fasting and exercise, you'll produce more NAD naturally and that's just because you put the body under stress. I'm not going to go into any more details, that's another... But on that, you know, I'm a faster and yeah. I was told that putting your body under... I'm a f fasting marathon runner, you know. Yep. When your body's in shock, it's not going to want to be pregnant, but it's okay because we, fasting is good for NAD, though. Yeah, so it's that that's, that's hard. It's, it feels like it's yeah, it's know. a catch twenty two because you're like, oh, I just you know, the, the fasting. I get it. There's all these health benefits along with benefits. Sorry, along yep. with you know, cold therapy, dumping some of the type of stuff. But it's it's about putting the body under stress. The body then goes, you need more NAD. Yep, and repairs it. Does and repairs all that, it, does all that type of stuff. Yeah, okay. so getting you ready then to make the baby. So it's okay for that rather period than of time. Yeah, yep. okay, and then cool. obviously you want to be looked after during pregnancy, yep. etc. Now I can attest to this because um, I've shown you some photos before. I know it's a bit short at the moment, but um, th yeah, those pictures of hair. And it, later on, people get in touch and have a look at the website. You'll see the difference, the before and afters. But yeah, my, that was one of the first things I noticed. In fact, my wife said, um, your hair's growing. Like, I haven't had hair growing on my head for ages, but I clip it back every month and then I allow 30 days growth and I'm actually not time-lapsing, but I'm measuring that in, in photographic evidence to show what it was back when I first started. But um, So did you go to this little South Australian clinic and say, I want to be part of this maturity <laughs> trial? Yes. Can I have some NAD? It's my sperm. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, how's your egg quality? Well, yeah. my sperm, yeah, no. <laughs> 
they'd have to jump the Great Divide. So <laughs> I've had the vasectomy. So oh. yeah, so no, my sperm are fine. Well, I think they are. I, I don't know. I can't <laughs> test them. Just ask them next <laughs> just time. Just ask them next time. Yeah. <laughs> but things that I've noticed, um, particularly with like my skin clearing, um, memory, um, reaction time, reflexes. I actually don't wear sunglasses much anymore. Like my sensitivity to light and sunlight with my eyes. That's probably been the other big factor. I don't wear reading glasses anymore. Like the font on my phone, I've actually brought down again. It's bizarre because most of my friends have, my mum in particular, she's got lots of, you know, yeah. really large. And then last year um, I ran marathon for the first time. So I've been on this NAD um, supplement for about 18 months now. And, yeah, what it's done for me has just been incredible. Life-changing. Can, can people buy NAD? Yeah, they can. And, and that's the one thing I want to touch on. So just be careful because not all NADs are the same. And this is really, really important. There is a massive push at the moment, a big publicity blitz in the longevity sort of field and, and those areas of NADs and being the life changes, et cetera. But they're not all the same. And the important thing is here that you, most of your listeners will be exposed to what they call just precursors, right? The problem with them is that they don't fix that um, salvage pathway. And if you don't fix the salvage pathway, then you're going to get a build-up of the waste. Gotcha. Remember that NAMPT? Yep. Yep. So yep. Now, your cell likes, every, every part of your body likes the biological equivalency and chemicals, etc. If you get a build-up of something, it'll, it'll tell you, trigger you. Dry mouth, you have to drink. Hungry, hunger pains. Basically, there are all of the NADs that are on the market at the moment that I've looked at and found, I haven't found any of them that actually address the salvage pathway, except for one. Okay, And the difference is that if you have the NADs that are available on the market now, you'll get about a 60% increase in your NAD levels. The one I'm using, 242%. And it's, and it's recycling X, Y, and Z. And that's why, because the very little of the NAD active ingredient precursor is doing that. What's doing it for me is it's actually repairing that salvage pathway. Um, and the fact is that a lot of the precursors, only a lot of studies um, data now shows that if you just have precursor only um, NADs, um, you can actually make the issues of NAD decline, et cetera, worse. Why? And actually worse for your body. So that's because it doesn't repair that salvage pathway and... You're just left with all the toxins. Yeah. yeah. So okay. let me give that analogy again of what happens to the toxins. So remember before we spoke about the car and all that type of stuff. So imagine now that car's parked in the garage. The garage door is down, all the windows are closed. You've got the car started, so the NAD petrol's going in, it's being used, but you've that NAMPT device, the special one, it's no longer collecting. That's the one that diminishes You've got a, you've 50%. Got a garage just full of toxic Toxic shit. fumes. Now yeah. what you're going to do is, you could just go over and open the door, but what that your cells decide to do is they go, oh, I don't like this toxicity. I'm going to call the police, the fire brigade, the ambulance, the SES, all those really important people that keep our community... Doing, doing other jobs. Doing other jobs and important jobs to come and open the door. Mm. Now, that's super inefficient. Yeah. But from the body's perspective, the AMBOs, et cetera, are known as uh, methyl donors. So if you've got all the methyl donors in your body, now removing the waste... NAD or the NAD byproduct out of your cell, they're not doing their important job and you get what we call methyl donor depletion. Methyl donor depletion can lead to birth defects, depression, cognitive decline, disease and even cancer. But this is what you need to be mindful of with the NADs that don't fix the salvage pathway. And some of the, look, NADs come in all different forms, um, tablets, powders, drips. Like I saw the other day, NAD, IVF drip, $700 per session. And I'm like, wow, that's just... So that you'll get a boost for a couple of days, but the problem with that is more than likely you'd have to take some um, some other supplements or something else because you'll, you might feel nauseous when you're having that. But at the end of the day, 
like a five-litre bucket of water, there's only so much NAD your body can take, yeah? So all the extras is literally going to be... Yeah, but, you know, if coming from someone who's obviously tried for years to have a baby, you throw anything at, at it, yeah. $700, you go, oh, okay, I can do yeah. that. So can we buy NAD just at the chemist? Do we need scripts? And no, it's re- no, readily no? available. You can get it over-the-counter NADs um, online. seems to be a big one at the moment. So everyone online sort of tapping into the NADs. But um, you've got to make sure that it's safe and effective, yeah? So... I have a bit of a checklist. I go, if it's if it says that it picks up and restores the salvage pathway, tick number one. If it restores the NAMPT enzyme, tick number two. Um, if it inhibits and blocks CD38, tick number three. So I'm starting to build up a bit of a list here. If it, I think we've already touched on the salvage pathway. Um, if it does all of those and it has some scientific research mm. behind it, not from, I was reading something the other day, one of these products, they said, oh, our product is NAD, blah, 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 and it's based on the research done by David Sinclair at a university somewhere else. So they're not even testing their product. They're just going, well, it's an NAD. He did the research on NMN, which is probably the ones that you hear the most. Um, so we're going to base our product on the findings of that stuff. No, they haven't actually tested that particular product. The other thing is that you'll hear them say, oh, we'll do a blood test to test your levels of NAD. It's not possible unless you're sitting in a lab. NAD is a highly volatile, mm. um, it's really unstable, not volatile, it's an unstable unstable molecule. So you can't just pinprick, put it on a bit of card like you do with your um, ancestry type stuff for that um, and send it off to the lab. It just won't give you the correct reading. So those supplements spoke of before and you'll say, have a look at your bottles. If it's just got something like NMN, uh, NR, NAD, um, and that's basically the only active ingredient in that particular product or NAD supplement, it's invariably just a precursor okay. and you want to – up to you, do your research, but I would avoid those because um, as an NAD supplement, they're only a precursor and you're going to lead to that um, methyl donor depletion, which is really not safe. And, I mean, we're not – I don't ever promote products or anything on the show, but you've obviously got one that's working for you. Can people reach out and get in touch with you to just have a conversation about – Yeah, you, absolutely. You, so they can love do, this stuff. So. Yeah, they can, they can do that via you or, or, or yeah, myself. So you can go via the website, but if it's up to you um, – Want to mention the website at all? No, I'll yeah, leave it for now. Yeah, we, we totally can. I okay, mean, so the the, uh, the business or the company's called Bioclinical, so it's all about preventative health. I'll leave the details with yourself. Right. And, 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 and I mean, always, and I'm sure with you, you've been working in clinics for a few years before that, should you be discussing this with your specialist anyway, just have that conversation? Abs- Not everyone's going to agree with everything, yeah. but, you know. Absolutely. Look, and, and I think it's like anything else. If you're going to add something to your, um, to your diet when you're um, – you know, having IVF treatment, et cetera, absolutely, yep. you know, do the console. But just be aware that um, like the one I use is is completely natural, um, gluten-free, vegan, all those type <laughs> things. <laughs> all the I'm not stuff. any of those, yes. <laughs> but they um, – but, yeah, but you should consult with your, with your, with your um, you know, consultant or specialist, et cetera. Just be aware that they may or may not be aware of what the NADs do, but just give them some insight with respect to, well, it's, it's a requirement for the body. Hey, look, there's a lot of patients who bring new ideas to their specialists. All the you know, time. All the time. Yeah. So it, I think it's great if you're your own advocate and you do your own research. Yeah. And there are, if, on my website, there's actually some links. We've got some um, blogs and some resource links. So you can actually show the doctor those and go, well, you know, this is what the science says about it all. Great. And look, I don't want this to sound like a wonder drug sure. because it has all those other benefits, et cetera. But if you think about it, this, is, this molecule is so important for every cell in your body. So that's why it has a huge impact on so many areas of your body, you know, so many different facets. 
In fact, there were two that I just want to mention before we finish up, and one of those is a friend of mine whose dad has glaucoma, and he went and had his test. He's been on it for about four months now, five months now, the, the NAD supplement. Went and had his test done um, from two years ago, and he said his eyesight in one particular eye has never been better. And I'm like, wow. you know. But it makes sense. You know, if you're starting to NAD, it's going to start to behave. And then another friend of mine who's suffering, unfortunately, really badly from uh, menopausal symptoms and her brain fog and hot sweats and all that have been significantly reduced. Do so, you, Do you think that, that taking some NAD might help my hemorrhoids? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> well, if it's... You know, you got that inflammatory response as well. <laughs> I mean, that's just where th- that's just an area that's at. been forgotten. You know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah my so hair's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to change that, but my bottom, yes, my bottom is it's <laughs> not to go by. But look, if I had, um, I suppose, one piece of advice yeah. uh, to finish all this up, um, it would be the following, ladies. We know that you're most fertile at nineteen to twenty years of age. Biologically, and your biological reproductive life supports that. Start earlier. Now, we know that's not possible. So if it's not feasible, if it's not practical, if it's just not financially viable for you to start earlier, then look after the quality of your eggs. And that can start from, say, 25 years of age because we know that's when they start to drop off a bit. Now, that doesn't mean, like I said, start waiting till you're 30 and go, oh, I want to start a family. I heard Wade and... Cassie talking about those NAD mm. supplements. Mm. Start early because obviously the longer you leave it, the more repairing that needs it's to like take place. It's like when we say we've got to wear sun cream and, and night cream, start young to, to prevent. Yes, to benefit from it, yeah. So we should be getting fertility ready. healthy, ready in yes. our 20s. Yeah, mid to late 20s, yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to leave it later. So again, going back to my daughter, we're not freezing anything. No. She'll start on the NADs and then she'll just maintain the quality of her eggs from there. And remember that the NADs, that has to be a whole body approach and it's not just a precursor you don't want to leave yourself open to any of those nasties that if you're just having precursors and remember that even if you do start in say 25 and you're not planning having a becoming a parent for the next five to seven years you're going to benefit from all those other things totally. NADs. now you're going to have memories going to come back energy you're going to be able to party, party from thursday longer. to sunday <laughs> because i think the fertility thing is just the bonus we really only start caring about it when we're told we can't like it's yeah. you know so um yeah, thinking about just living in your prime for longer. For longer, yeah. Will be, is, is a bonus. Absolutely. And if the key thing that's in demise that's causing us to age, if we can replace and restore those levels, it's going to have a huge benefit for you health-wise entirely over your whole body. So awesome. that, that's the sign of things. Look, I absolutely love this. Even just the takeaway of, um, of couples sitting down and having a listen, if the partner's like, I'm not too sure if I'm ready yet, just to even start that conversation. I yep. think that that's my takeaway of, you know, um, I guess shining a light on our morphed sort of a, a different view on when we should be doing it. Yeah. Have the baby now in the rental you know, w- without the white picket fence, mm. and go on the holiday with your ten-year-old. Like it's all—it's all different now. Absolutely, you know, reverse it. Yeah, I think we think we think we've got to have everything perfect. Doesn't have to, to be to start. Well, if you leave it later, I can guarantee you, you're not going to be in a perfect biological state. So start earlier if it's not feasible. At least look after the quality of your eggs earlier, and that could take. You know, like I'm saying, um, I think some of the studies between three to four months of an NAD supplement will help um, increase the quality of your eggs relatively quickly because it, you're not going to, like me, you're not going to repair 53 years of 
decline in NAD overnight. So hence, it's taken like 18 months for me to really see the true benefits, which I saw probably after about six to 12 months. So awesome. All good things. And people, uh, once again, uh, please feel free to reach out to myself or Wade, who is available. And remember, I'm not a doctor. I'm uh, not a doctor. <laughs> this is not... Um, I'm not a fertility specialist either, no, but you just, you've worked in the industry. Yeah, I love research. And yep. when I come across this stuff about, like your purpose was about your footprint on the human race, etc. Mine is too, um, but from a, from a health and preventative health. So if I can avoid people out there having some of those chronic illnesses by just repairing one part, there's some other stuff that we've got coming out shortly as well which we'll, you'll see on the website but um, at this stage NAD it's like the core remember without it you're dead within 30 seconds on that really <laughs> warm, lovely note thanks so much for jumping on thanks guys <laughs>